Welcome to Intersections, the RIT podcast. In this episode, Jehan Kartaltepe, Assistant Professor of Physics and Astronomy, and Brittany Vanderhoof, a third-year PhD student in Astrophysical Sciences and Technology, discuss their career paths, the opportunities and challenges for women in the sciences, and their own efforts to be role models for future generations. I guess I, I was just a weird kid when I was younger, but I always was just had my head in books and not storybooks, but I remember for my 10th birthday, I asked for a dictionary and a thesaurus because I just found words really interesting. And I also always knew I'd end up being a scientist because I would keep these little lab notebooks as young as the age of like eight years old, where I would just like mix things like household items, which looking back was very dangerous. And then write, write out the results, like what happened. Sometimes I would mix in like leaves and stuff that I had collected from outside. I'd mix them all together and then I'd write down what I saw. And it was obviously n- never anything and then stuff my mom had to throw away really grossly. Um, and then I would also like monitor how the trees in my backyard changed over the season and just keep it in my little lab notebook. I loved having a little lab notebook. So I always knew I wanted to be in science, and I was always really intrigued by higher education, even though I'd never been around it. Just from, like, reading books and stuff I saw on TV, I knew from a very young age I wanted to get my Ph.D. I just never knew in what, and that was something I actually struggled with. But I also didn't know how, and I didn't have anyone around me who knew how. I was so uninformed that I was never even told how to apply to college or told that I needed to take my SATs, so I actually have never taken the SATs. Then I remember my last couple of months of my senior year of high school, they said, well, your only option is to go to the community college then because they'll take applications still. And I was like, okay. That's when I got my degree in chemistry and fell in love with it. Again, I had no support, so I went to work, right? I, I didn't really know what to do after that. So it must have been hard or scary to make such a major shift in your life, right? When you have a job and it's stable, I think the idea of going back to school and starting something new, it's probably scary for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, my first semester I actually almost stopped my advisor and physics professor. She took me aside and she said, you're not stopping. She goes, you're made for this. And she goes, this is hard, but you're not giving up. That was, it was very intimidating and I definitely almost quit. Why did you choose to apply to RIT over all the other places that you could have applied to? I built a lot of interesting values in how I pick a school and a program that I want to work with. And what was important to me was finding an atmosphere that not only was on the cutting edge of the research, but also that those same values were also very important to them. So supporting underrepresented groups in sciences and people who don't necessarily have the easiest path but would be great in the field, you know, those people that don't always get the support they need, you know, sort of giving back to the people who helped support me through it. So I specifically looked for people, professors like yourself, who were female and doing the research that I was interested in, so galaxy evolution, and that were also advocates for promoting underrepresented groups, which you very much are. And so why, why astrophysics? I guess you could have gone back to school for anything. For some reason, when I was younger, I just did not know that studying space was a career option. Like, I knew about astronauts, but I just, I guess I was never exposed to the fact that you could actually have a career in astrophysics. After I finished my associate's degree in chemistry, I went to work in the aerospace engineering industry. My plan was to get settled back down and then finish out my bachelor's while I was going to school. While I was there, I had the opportunity to interact with some amazing professors 
and I was somehow at one point convinced to try out some astro research under the guise that it would help buff up my graduate school application if I decided to go to grad school. I was studying the the gas and dust that is associated with a galaxy to just sort of see its role in the evolution of the galaxy. And so that basically is studying the chemistry of the gas and dust in the galaxy. And um, that was just really intriguing to me because the concepts of what I was doing were all things I was really familiar with from chemistry and stuff like that. And stuff that really interests me, but it was in a new application, like a new way. And in this new interesting way where I don't have the gas samples in front of me. Instead, I'm using the reflection of light to study the same thing that it's just like a weird concept, right? Because you can't go out into space and collect the gas. So I'm doing the same thing, but without my sample. And I just found that so interesting. It's something that like I wanted to learn more. Did you always know that you wanted to be in astrophysics? No, I think I always liked science. I always was interested in things that were far away and distant and hard to understand. Like that was always fun for me, kind of like a puzzle. I think I decided sometime in high school that I was going to study physics and astronomy in school. I didn't know what that meant, like what I would do with it. But when I went to undergrad, I got involved in research right away. And then you have role models, right? I didn't really have any, I didn't know people who were scientists, right, growing up. So I didn't have a role model or a sense of what people actually did. But once you go to college, you're now surrounded by people that are doing science, and that is normal life for them, and then it starts to seem more achievable. Right. Throughout my childhood and in school, I always had female role models, right, because all of our teachers are predominantly women, even science teachers in science classes. But the career path is a little bit different. When I went to undergrad, I had role models who were astronomers, but they were all male because the majority of people who've gotten to the point of a professorship in astrophysics are typically male. So my undergraduate advisor was male. All the summer research things I did were with men. Same in grad school. Everybody I worked with was men. They were great role models. They were great mentors, and they helped me out immensely. But I didn't really develop that type of mentorship relationship with a lot of women. But I think as I went through graduate school and got more involved in the research side and got to know a lot more people and read a lot more about what other people were going through, that I think I became a lot more aware of what (laughs) women really went through in the field. And I was super lucky to have really supportive advisors, but not everybody was. And I had friends that had problems with their own advisors. Um, I had friends that were sexually harassed. I had friends that were bullied. I had friends that went through all kinds of awful situations. And while I didn't go through those myself at the time, I tried to be there to support them. So I was still aware of it, right? It was still part of the atmosphere. So I think all of those experiences are part of why it's been really important to me to be a role model as much as I can, but also to help people that are in really unfortunate situations, especially the types of situations that push women out of the field. I know a lot of times people just feel like this is just grad school, this is just what I have to deal with. And that's not always true, but it's hard to see until you're outside of the situation that, no, 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 you're being mistreated. And most people want to make it better. I don't that, you know, of course there are a handful of bad apples that don't care, but most people care and want to make it better and aren't always aware of what students are going through or what some of the problems are. So I think just having that level of openness and comfort where you can say, look, I'm, I'm really struggling with this class. I'm really having a hard time because of X, Y, and Z. I think most people are pretty receptive to helping helping students make it through. 
kind of on this topic of the difficulties of being, you know, women or in the field or all of that stuff, going forward for you with working with the James Webb Telescope and being part of the first groups to start using science when, once the telescope's <laughs> operating, do you don't have any fears of not being taken seriously about your science or anything like that? Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot wrapped up in there. Is there? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> um, yes, of course. I mean, everybody has that element of oh, can I can I really accomplish all the things I want to accomplish? I would say this this particular group that proposed to use the James Webb for this particular project, I think in a way was was really good. That, it was a really open group, and there was a lot of effort to make sure that the group was very inclusive. So there are a lot of women that are participating. There are a lot of students. There are a lot of postdocs that are participating. Yeah. It's not, it's not led and run by all of the like old boys, right? So that already made me very comfortable in yeah, working with this group great. of people. And it's a group that I know really well, and we get along, and they've been collaborators for a while. So I think that's good, right? It's already a very healthy atmosphere for doing science. Yeah, I think that's really awesome that the big hype with uh, new telescopes up, here's the first science, and, you know, even the general public's going to be very intrigued. So to have a diverse group of researchers being the one producing the science, men, women, older, younger, I think that's going to be great. Yeah, and it might, you know, naively, it might seem to people that, oh, you shouldn't care. As long as you're getting the science done, it shouldn't matter who's in the group or what people are like. But, you know, I've had experience of working with groups of people where people really like each other, groups of people where there are a lot of disagreements and problems, and you can be much more efficient, get a lot more done, and just be happier with what you're doing if you're working with a group of people that is supportive of each other as a whole. So I think that's really important for collaborations in general moving forward. And it's very easy for things to be competitive. I mean, something like the James Webb Space Telescope, as soon as there's data, there's going to be a rush of people trying to publish because everybody wants to be first to make new discoveries and it will be exciting but at the same time I think it's good to have a group that's not necessarily competing with each other right right? that everybody's helping each other out and maybe somebody else is going to lead the paper that's like this amazing discovery but I can help and I can work on it and I can lead my own paper on, on something else I really think that's the way that we should be doing science yeah I agree so actually, so maybe kind of related, right, just this year, so this other collaboration that we're working with called Cosmos, the leadership just changed. And so myself and two other women are actually now in charge of leading this collaboration. And so it's kind of kind of a coincidence that the three of us are women, but we're all women who were graduate students when this survey first started. Of course, the survey was, was led by men, like most are, and we've now gotten to a point where all of us are in our own careers now that we all have permanent positions and the people that we're leading it are doing other things and so it's sort of you know the next generation could kind of take over and and lead things and so that's been to me that was really encouraging that that was just kind of natural to have these three women now leading this team so that's very exciting yeah so Brittany um I know you have kind of just started working with Cosmos Cosmos but maybe you can what do you think so far about that collaboration and the science that everyone is doing so when you took me to the conference the Cosmos conference over the summer I was very initially intimidated because of how many names of people whose papers I've been reading for the past two years and basing all of my science off of were going to be there they were going to be sitting like two feet away from me. It's kind of intimidating when 
the person who literally wrote the book on the ISM is giving a talk and he gives this talk and I'm like, this is the first talk that I have questions for and I'm too scared to ask them. But it was such a welcoming environment as soon as you said, hey, this is my student. Or if you even looked like you were trying to approach someone, they would stop the conversation they were in to make you feel more welcome and turn around and say, hey, I think it's a, a great thing to be part of, of just how open to working with each other and supporting each other your group is. I was just blown away and I hope to in the future be part of Cosmos for a while now because of that. That was great. Thanks for listening to Intersections, the RIT podcast, a production of RIT Marketing and Communications. To learn more about our university, go to www.rit.edu. And to listen to more of our podcasts, find us on iTunes or visit us at www.soundcloud.com slash RIT Tigers.